0: this man is termed as the gentleman of politics in kenya with a career in civil service spanning over 50 years up to the point of his death he was one of those people that kenyans felt optimistic about his reign and if you'd look back at that time kenyans were ranked as the most optimistic state in the world simply because there was a ray of hope there was you know the disappointment that kenyans had experienced was going to end now some of you might have already figured out who i'm talking about but anyway for those who don't, he is a man that his legacy is a bit mixed and leaves a good taste to some people's mouths, but to some, not such a great one. Hi, welcome back to the African Footprints podcast with me, Effie. And today's story takes us back to Kenya, and we are talking about our third president, the late Emilio Mwai Kibaki. Mimi Mwai Kibaki, na apa kwamba. This means Honorable Mike Ibaki is the winner. The Commission therefore declares Honorable Mike Ibaki as the President of Kenya. Office of the Prime Minister. Prime Minister, the Honorable Raila Amolo Odinga. That I will obey, preserve, protect and defend. This constitution of Kenya. Beginning to develop education so that these children, all of them, that they could all get educated and get on very well. Now, I know some of you might punish me for this, or, <laughs> but anyway, that's beside the point. Mwai um, Kibaki is a man that was loved by many people. Born in 1931, he was just born in an average family back in the northern, in the Central Highlands, and lived a pretty much normal life, but in his adulthood, he was a brilliant chap, so he got his degree in economics from the London School of Economics, and London School of Economics then, well, the praises are still there to date, but having gone to school in those days, he was one of the academically elite people. But that's not what we're here to talk about. Kibaki came under the legacy of a man of integrity, he was a man who understood economics. And at the point that he was coming in as our president, Kenyans knew the economy was going to take a turn. Now, just for context, we were coming from a place where the previous president, um, the late Honorable Moi, had left the economy in shambles. It was only in the hands of a few people. Manu exchanged hands in those who were in power, his the elites, his people. And we had also moved from the Kenyatta era where it was just the Kikuyu kingpins, and now we had the Kalenjin kingpins. So when Mwai Kibaki was sworn in as the third president of Kenya, Kenyans were hopeful. And this is because, one, he had the backing of many people and so many other tribes from the Kamba community, the Luo community, and not just the Kikuyu community as had previously been. So there was the perception that, one, we are going to move from a centralized um, leadership form of leadership to something more decentralized where everybody at least gets a piece of the cake at least so we thought and there was also the belief that having a background in economics and having served in government for the two previous regimes in various ministries he knew exactly what was ailing the country and he was the breath of fresh air that we needed again so we thought Um, so coming in he came under two principles one he was going to And corruption, essentially by fighting it from the roots. That meant those who are in the previous regime and those who ate from the previous regime were essentially going to be removed. And we had people like Gidongo who served as um, his czar when it came to political matters and just trying to curb corruption in that docket. But the thing is, when he came to power, there was also those people who got him to power that he needed to how do I put it? He needed to, you know, exchange hands and say, thank you. <laughs> so there was the struggle of trying to maintain his integrity and making sure we have a decentralized leadership while also respecting the Kikuyu leaders who are there, or the Kikuyu elites who helped him get to that place. Now, remember, if for those who are there in 2002, that day was full of pomp and color when our new president was being sworn in on a wheelchair and a cast in his leg. And Mama Lucy Kibaki, our favorite, (laughs) by his side. So it was a day that Kenyans were very hopeful and things were okay at that point, so I would say. But as we move forward, Kibaki proved to be just like any other president. So he was struggling between living up to the promises he had made while also respecting the establishment that had been there and the establishment that had gotten him where he was at this point. Now, across his leadership, something that he did that was very amazing, one of them was free education. Mwaikibaki introduced free primary education for all kids in primary school, at least making sure that every citizen in Kenya had the basic level of education and this meant even people who had not gone to school for lack of school fees and things like that came back to school and you know at least people are becoming literate so that's a plus for him kibaki also oversaw some very good infrastructural projects some of the roads we see right now are built during his tenure and he also had chinese um the china became partners with kenya at that time so it was not a huru thing guys come down so yeah there was a lot of um things that he had tried doing that were really good for the country. But at the risk of sounding like I'm a pessimist or whatever, I do not like sanitizing the dead. And of course his legacy when he was dying, we all saw the newspapers and the blogs, everything was glorious and it was all nice. But I want us to look at the different side of Mwaiki that many people tend to forget. And the first one that comes to mind when I just think of him is back in 1982, He was the one who moved the motion to have Kenya become a single-party state. A lot of people forget that. But after there was so much opposition and back and afterwards... multipartism was introduced he was one of the first people to take that opportunity and vie under his new party i think it was the democratic party correct me if i'm wrong i'm not quite sure i think it was the democratic party he was one of the first few people to try and vie for presidency under the new umbrella of the democratic party now this made um it left a bad taste in some people's mouths and people like kenneth matiba and jaramogio odinga called him out for being an opportunist and a political survivor in that for most part of his career as a minister, he was less known, or rather he was just lurking in the shadows. But um, he came out strongly to support single-party state during Moy's tenure. But the moment uh, the single-party state was outlawed and Kenya moved to a multi-party democracy, he was one of the first people to actually go and, you know, start to seek power with his new party. Now that's beside the point. When Kibaki also came into power in 2002, like I had mentioned earlier, there was the struggle of maintaining the establishments that were pre-existing and also trying to create a new legacy for himself. Now, as this was happening, him trying to live his story as the new president and doing things his own way versus um ensuring he doesn't anger certain people, his cabinet secretaries and his kitchen cabinet were involved in several corruption scandals, one of the most notable ones being the Anglo Leasing scandal, sorry, Anglo-leasing scandal. And this is a story, maybe we'll do in another another episode, but the Anglo leasing scandal was one of the one that hit kibaki's cabinet the most at the core of it, and it made people start doubting his integrity and his um, decisions to fight corruption because he ended up shaking hands with some of people who were the oligarchs in um, the previous regimes that is being Moi and Kenyatta, and the fact that he was not able to really nip corruption in the bud, left uh, people questioning his leadership. Now at this point he had decided, um, this is around 2004, and 2003, 2004, he decided to just bring in the people because they had experienced some rift with um, the, Odinga fraction that supported him in the coalition, there was some rift that was being experienced. And this was because, one, there was the introduction of the new constitution or the purported new constitution, and which was famously known as the Wako Draft. So the Wako Draft was, I think for those who are alive, you know, we went for a referendum in 2005, right? So it was um, a constitution that he had promised he would bring in a new constitution because the 1963 constitution was a bit too a cake and not kenyan enough so we needed something new so there was the wako draft but there were things in the wako draft that didn't sit right with the people and that is when we had the chungwa versus the banana the yes versus no fraction the yes being the kibaki fraction that supported the amendments to the constitution with the no fraction which led to the birth of the um, orange democratic movement as we now know it was the fraction that supported, that did not support the new amendments to the constitution, or rather the no, fran- the no fraction. And of course, the no fraction won by a landslide. I think about 60% of the votes during the referendum. Now, this made things worse, because this essentially set the pace for where we are heading in 2007. What happened was the rift between the Odinga fraction and the Kibaki fraction just widened. And because this widened, Kibaki decided to have an overhaul in the cabinet. And that means there was a lot of shuffling. And most of the people who were the Odinga fraction of the cabinet at that point were removed and he replaced them with those who supported him, people from his community. So we started seeing, around 2005, we started seeing a a Kibaki regime that was slowly morphing into, you know, what Kenyatta's regime was. And this became um, one of the main ideologies that propelled the ODM movement, uh, sorry, Orange Democratic Movement, or the party to fame in 2007. Now fast forward to a stain that was left in Kibaki's legacy that I think for me, um, essentially marked his presidency. Like when I think of President Kibaki, I will not think of roads, I will not think of all that. I will think of free education first. But I will also think of post-election violence. Fast forward to 2007. Kenyans head for their next election. Remember all these happenings between 2002 to 2005 and 2006 essentially set the pace for the opposition that we had in 2007. And we all know we had the Pentagon and, you know, the strong army in the ODM camp. And the election happened. People voted. But on 30th December, Kufumba Kufumbua, you know, it was... Newspapers, ODM, Raila leading, uh, Raila will win this by a landslide. People knew who was going to win because people voted. And there was a lot of optimism in terms of this is where we're headed as a country. And this is because there are so many um, scandals that had happened during Kibaki's tenure that people knew they did not want him back as the president. So now, like I said, this set the pace for the, um, the election that was in 2007. So as we moved to 2007, Kivuit presided over the elections, and the elections were largely peaceful. But come the time of announcing the results, things started changing because people had voted, people had gone home, waiting the results, and I think some of us were young, but we just sat down. I remember I was in the village, you know, the location behind the ID. (laughs) And we just sat there watching the news, and we would see the tally and the polls, Raila leading. But then Kufumba Kufumbua, All the media people were sent out from the, it was not IBC, it was the Electoral Commission of Kenya, ECK. They were sent out of the ECK offices where the um, tallying was happening and the tallying stopped for a few minutes. And people like saying there was a blackout and once the lights came back, well, Kibaki was leading and Kibaki won. And Kivitu came and gave a statement that Kibaki won by a small margin. Anyway, that's not the point. The actions afterwards are essentially what formed most of his legacy, at least for me in my mind, because growing up around that time, I did not know Kibaki's legacy. I did not know Kibaki's presidents from 2002 to 2007 because I was young. I was was in primary school. I was a child. But after 2007, there are some things that changed um, a lot in people's lives in Kenya, including myself. So that is what essentially we remember him for. So after the elections were announced, There was um, public outcry, and Raila Odinga called for mass protests. And the observers, the international observers, also said that that election was marred by rigging, and there was a lot of discrepancies. And I think later on, in a statement, Kivuit also said he is not certain who won the election then. But hmm, suspicious. Anyway, that's none of my business. His monkey, his circus. Later on, there was a lot of conflict about what's going to happen, and there had been some conflict in various parts of the country. But again, Kibaki being a man who made decisions the way he wanted, and at some point, I tend to say, I don't, I'm not scared of this, but I think he made very poor decisions because the decision to get sworn in at night, first of all, by just doesn't sit right, because why are you being sworn at night? Kwani, you're stealing the presidency. He was stealing the presidency, but yeah, the decision of being sworn at night, or rather not handling the issues that arose from the elections, just left a bad taste in people's mouth. And for those who know, there was chaos, and chaos erupted in 2000 to 2008. About 1,250 1, people lost their lives, and about a 100,000 people or more were displaced. And that was, I think, the largest one we've ever had people displaced in this country. So war broke out and it became very chaotic to the point that there was no middle ground. There was no putting these two people on a table to negotiate about anything because the Raila fraction that supported him knew he won the elections. Honestly speaking, we all know he won the elections. That's not a secret. But Kibaki decided to clench to power and The man was not budging. So Kofi Annan was sent as the envoy to come and just try foster peace in the country, which happened because later on we got um, the peace deal that essentially gave us Kibaki as the president and Raila as the prime minister. And fast forward in 2010, we had our new constitution, which was promulgated. Now that is also something Kibaki is remembered for. And I do not take that away from him in any way, and I do not intend to do so. But just because he gave us a new constitution, we have to understand the journey on how we got to have that new constitution, the journey on how we got to the point where power was now devolved to the counties um, to prevent the winner-takes-it-all um, kind of situation that we had experienced, or rather having a president that, since the president is from this particular community, um, everything else, everyone else just takes a back seat because it's our time to eat. And I remember John Kidongo made... A statement once, I think, in the book, "It's Our Time to Eat," and he said, "When Kibaki came into power, everyone expected something different. Kenya was going to be something new, and we were so optimistic and hopeful. Like I said, but things just took a nosedive, and things took a nosedive, and things took a turn for the worst because corruption continued. The same, same old people who are the money makers and the money handlers in the country were still largely the same people who were in the previous regimes. So again, nothing really changed much, but." Despite um, having all this, I would not want to take away from his successes because he succeeded in so many things. He represented us well in the global landscape. We had a lot of infrastructural development, schools, and so many schools were actually built. Ile, just to promote um, the free primary education, a lot of people going back to school. So a lot of schools were built, a lot of classrooms were built, and he brought new developments in the country, and the economy was very stable. In fact... In the whole of Kenya's history, the time Kenyans experienced the peak economic stability was when Kibaki was president, but and also, of course, the introduction of the new constitution. And just because he had all these successes, I wouldn't want us to forget or sanitize him just because he is dead. May God rest his soul in peace. I wouldn't want us to forget um, the atrocities that happened during his tenure, I mean, People were burnt inside a church, an entire church with people inside, you know. So 2007 really marked a highlight in his presidency. And this is because, in my opinion, this is something that could have been avoided. The chaos, the um, post-election clashes could have been avoided because it led to an almost civil war in the country. And it could have been avoided simply by him desisting the urge to be sworn in at night and just making sure everything was set if there were petitions to be taken to court, making sure all that was done first before he could ascend to power. But because he didn't want to be the first one-time president or he didn't want to be unseated, you know, he made some very bold decisions that were not so great and essentially put Kenya in a very bad position. Because I remember I was in Ushago and one of my aunties was actually pregnant. Now, this was the worst thing. She was in Eldoret, which was Rift Valley region. And was surrounded by you know the kikuyu community where they used to stay so it wasn't i remember how everyone was scared at home because all the roads remember nyanza borders rift valley so the roads leading up to nandi and all that were blocked there were tires everywhere so there was no coming in there was no going out and you can imagine the position you put your family in when everyone is scared she's about to deliver and you know it just just not a nice position to be in. Now imagine this for millions of other Kenyans who are stuck wherever they are, because I think those days people used to go vote in Oshago most of the time. So most people were stuck where they were, you could not leave. many people are killed for essentially just belonging to a particular tribe. And some tribes banded together because they supported one candidate, other tribes banded together because they were against a particular candidate. And I think for me that marked the height of his presidency. I remember him for all the good and I would not want to sincerely take it away from him because he did some pretty good stuff. But what triggered me or what motivated me to talk about this story today is because every conversation I've had about how the economy is now and how Ruto is doing poorly, people always compare him to Kidbaki was the best we had and all that yada 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 but was he really was he though like if you look at it keenly was he a lot of things changed economically but the root of our economic wars never changed that is having money and power just exchange hands in very few people having it concentrated in a few people that never changed and for me that is what underpins a society that is democratic a society that is fair and a society that essentially has um The power to choose. So again, he did well as a president, but this is just a reminder lest we forget. Thanks for watching. Bye. My Lord may God forgive him for saying I could not be without having a woman because that could give me postal cancer. And I can only imagine the sense of betrayal, anger, and uncertainty. aror, sehemu, ya I went to Alliance Girls School. That was that was the school that people could make it went to. Africa, a land rich in natural resources, wildlife, and diverse culture. Historically seen as a dark continent, I think it's time we shed some light on the stories of people and events that have shaped our beautiful continent. Join me through this journey as we retrace our African footprint.